Blog Talk Radio. The following broadcast is brought to you by the iGolf Sports Network. The Women of Golf Show is sponsored by the iGolf Sports Network and Golf Tips Magazine. iGolf Sports is a live stream broadcast and media production company providing quality programming designed to attract the golfing enthusiasts. And Golf Tips, the game's most in-depth instruction magazine with insightful reviews on the latest equipment, tips from top teaching professionals, helping you improve your game from tea to green. Good morning, welcome to the Women of Golf, the number one women's golf show around the world, with hosts Ted Odorico and Cindy Miller. Join them as they interview some of the best players from the Epson, LPGA and Legends Tour, and so many others helping to elevate women's golf. So without further ado, here are your hosts, Ted and Cindy. All right, good morning, everybody, and once again, welcome to the Women of Golf Show. I'm Ted Odorico, and right alongside, of course, each and every week is none other than legendary uh, tour player Cindy Miller. Um, welcome, Cindy, to the show. Well, thank you. <laughs> it's, good to, it's good to be back. We've been, uh, let me just first get this, get the elephant out of the room, as they say. Um, we've had some technical issues the last few weeks, so that's the reason why we haven't been on air, and unfortunately some uh, uh, adjustments with, with guests and so forth. So we apologize to the listeners that have been tuning in the last uh, few weeks. Uh, but we're back, um, and I think we've got all the, the, the bugs ironed out and everything, so we apologize for, for that, for those of you tuning in. But uh, uh, hopefully you've taken advantage and gone back into the archives and listened listen to some of the earlier shows, if you missed those, uh, to get caught up to speed. But we're very excited this morning. We're going to be getting an update on what's been uh, happening this season on the Epson Tour. Uh, their marketing uh, manager, Ali Lutter, is going to be joining us in just a moment. And then you and I, Cindy, are going to dip into the no BS zone a little bit later to discuss some game improvement strategies. So we'll talk about that in the second half. But let me introduce Ali, and we'll get her out here because I know she's got a busy day. Um, she graduated from Penn State University with a degree in broadcast journalism and sports journalism certificate. Uh, she has a passion for sports and storytelling, which has led her down multiple professional paths, including on-air work, video editing, and writing. And currently, as I mentioned, she's the marketing manager for the Epson Tour. So, Cindy, let's welcome uh, Allie Letter to the show. Good morning, dear. Good morning. How are you guys? Doing well. And you? We are good. Thank you. Good. We're glad that you uh, you joined us this morning. Um, Cindy, do you want to go first? I would. Are you from the Northeast? I am. I'm originally from the Philadelphia area, um, just a little bit Northeast, and then went to Penn State for school. So I kind of, you know, three hours away, but kept it in the state, and I loved it. But now I'm in the Florida area, and, you know, I don't miss the snow as much, but I do miss do miss the city a bit. Well, that's cool. And tell me why you wanted to major in journalism. Um, I actually had gone back and forth with it a little bit in school. I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do back in middle school and high school. And I always went back to my eighth grade English teacher. She, on the first day of school, was telling us a little bit about herself and her career path. And something that really stuck out to me was she talked about um, going to school for journalism, and then she ended up as a locker room reporter for the Philadelphia 76ers. And that, to me, at that time, I knew it was a job, but I didn't really fully grasp that it was something that I could do. So hearing her experience kind of gave me that confidence, and it gave me that momentum to pursue that as a career and do something like that. I'm a big ice hockey fan, so I said to myself, I said, that would be so cool to be able to go into the Flyers locker room, do their interviews, and tell their stories. So really worked closely with her as a mentor throughout middle school and high school, and I wouldn't be where I am without her. But going into college, I just kind of picked everything up, started getting that like that hands-on experience, doing um, some sideline reporting, some rinkside reporting with the Big Ten Student U Network, and then also doing behind-the-scenes with the cameras and video editing. So really just fell in love with it, and that's always what I wanted to pursue. What kind of video editing programs do you use? 
Um, I primarily worked with Adobe Premiere, both in college and then professionally out of college. That's what we used with the AJGA. So when I was video editing with them, that's, that's what I was most comfortable with. But I'm always willing to learn new platforms. So I would definitely suggest to people that are looking into video editing and video-related work to, to be open and have an open mind. I know that uh, Adobe is a big one. I know that people are using um, different platforms now. You know, there's there's things you can download on your phone to be a little bit more flexible and edit out in the field. So definitely be open, but I'm primarily comfortable with Adobe. And do you play golf? I'm getting back into it. I played in middle, uh, end of elementary school to beginning of high school. Um, field hockey is big in the Northeast, so I picked that up around eighth grade. And for me, it was just hard to go from summers of golf into falls of field hockey. With field hockey, you can't bring the club past your knee on a follow-through or else it's an illegal swing. So it was very hard for me to go from golf to following all the way through to field hockey. So I, I didn't want to risk getting called, so I dropped the golf and picked up field hockey. But I am getting back into it now that I've been out of field hockey for a while. Awesome. And are you still interested in ice hockey? I am. I love ice hockey. I am a big Flyers fan. It's it's painful at times, but um, moving down to the Tampa Bay area, it definitely um, – Sparked a little bit of fandom in the lightning. So got a good team there and a not-so-great team at home. <laughs> That's fun. I did a big group lesson yesterday with all the girls that work for Pagula Sports and Entertainment and the Buffalo Sabres. And they're looking for people to work for them. But that would require moving to Buffalo. And we're really big on snow. <laughs> yes. And the... The funny thing is the Pagula family, they built the ice hockey arena at Penn State. That's the Pagula ice arena. So it's that's a big connection, too, there. Well, there you go. There you go. Ted, go ahead. Well, i got to jump in with ice hockey here. I know we're getting off uh, topic a little bit from golf, but I'm uh, being from Canada, I'm a Leafs fan, and uh, I know I'm going to be dating myself here, but we had a lot of um, – back and forth between the Flyers and the Maple Leafs over the years. A lot of scraps, a lot of fights and, and whatnot. They were a, a tough bunch of, of guys uh, back in the 70s and, and whatnot. So I'd say I'm really dating myself. But uh, I love ice hockey as well. And I really miss, you know, going to the games. And even though, I'm, um, you know, I do watch a little bit of the Tampa Lightning, um, it's a little bit far for me to have to come down to the games uh, on a regular basis. But uh, – I'll have to make a point of doing that, but always, uh, always an interesting thing. It's it's uh, it's fun to to watch because it's um, it's such a, a fast paced sport um, compared yeah. to so many others, and you've got to really um, pay attention because the puck just moves up and down, in in some cases uh, at a very rapid pace. And if you're not really focusing, it's it's it can be confusing for people that have never really followed it. But uh, that's interesting. I didn't know that. That was sort of a fun fact about Allie that we didn't know that she's a, a big ice hockey fan. Uh, so let me, uh, we got to switch to golf because this is a golf show. We'll have to maybe yeah. do a, a hockey show one day. But um, so let's talk about 2023 so far. Give us just sort of a general assessment of how you've seen things from your perspective, um, how the season's been going so far, because we're getting down to the, to the wire here, and we'll talk about that in a few minutes. But uh, just give us a sort of an overview of, of how things have gone so far for the season. I think 2023 has been going really well. I think it's a year of growth. You know, you're seeing record-breaking purses. You're seeing incredible golf, talented athletes. Gabby Russells has now won three events on the tour, and you know, she signed up for some events. You know, you never know. You could see a fourth, which I think would be a first for the tour. And if it's not, then it's the first time in a in a while. I would have to go fact check that. But, you know, you're seeing a lot of talent out there. And I think that, you know, we award the top ten at the end of every year membership into the LPGA for the following season. But I think that as we get down the stretch, it's really there, – there's going to be – 
a, a range of people who could get into that top 10, and it's all going to come down to those last events, as it does every year. But that talent and that competition is so tight out there that it's really anyone's game. So I think that that's a really good sign for the way that women's golf is trending, and the, it, it gives a lot of excitement for fans of the LPGA for that next generation of stars. Yeah, I've been watching a lot of the social media posts that you guys have put up for, for Epson, and um, it's just uh, interesting. As always so many new faces every week, a, new, a lot of new winners and that. Um, in, in addition to Gabby, who are some of the other shining stars this season? There's always some breakouts, uh, and then there's always some veterans that uh, really sort of step on the gas, as it were. But is there, uh, and, and you can certainly embellish more on her, too, but um, who are some of the shining stars this season? Yeah, so I would say number two on the money list right now, Natasha Andrea Oon. She's a rookie. She's from Malaysia. She currently has $112,000 in official money. She, and I'm going to fact check this right now, but she has not won yet this year, but has played so consistently, has seven top ten finishes. I believe four of those are second play, or P second or better. So, I mean, she has just been playing so consistently, I think to be able to be at number two on the money list at this point of the season without a win says a lot about her game. And I know that, you know, her her game is there. She's been proving every week that she belongs in that top spot in on the top of the leaderboard. So I think it's only a matter of time before she walks away with a win. Another rookie that came out of the gates was um, Jenny Bay. You know, she was the, runner-up at Anwa lost in a playoff to Rose Zhang, who went out to win her first event on the LPGA Tour. But Jenny Bay turned pro after um, her college season ended, came out to the Epson Tour, won, I, I believe she made, she she missed the cut in her first event, came out and won her second or third, um, and then won back-to-back. So, you know, in only a few events, she had two wins under her belt. So that really says a lot about her game too. So she started at the Innova Mission Inn Resort and Club Championship out um, end of May, and she missed the cut. She went then to the Hartford Healthcare Women's Championship in the beginning of July, won her second event, her, her second start. So she then followed that up with a T4 finish and then has made the cut in every event she's played so far this season. So she is really a name to watch out there week in and week out. And would you say, in addition to her and, and you know, maybe a few others, um, is there anyone that you can think of that hasn't had their first win yet but is so close? I, you mentioned the number two player, obviously, has uh, uh, finished seven, you know, top tens this season and 112,000 uh, in official money. Uh, but are there any other players that you can think of that are sort of knocking on that win door um, but just haven't quite stepped over yet with uh, with a few events left that there's a good chance they may do that. Anyone that you can think yeah. of? Just looking at the current top ten right now, I would say number five, Minji Kang. She has not won yet this season, and she's knocking on that door. She's consistently on the top of the leaderboard, making cuts, making her name known, having low rounds. And then um, Roberta Levy, she's number nine right now. She's in the same boat. You know, She's consistently near the top consistently making cuts and, you know, would, would love to see some of these people. Another, just going down the list, Austin Kim, she's been knocking. She she consistently has low rounds, is towards the top of the leaderboard. She um, is number 12 right now. So, I mean, there's there's a handful of people that are very close to being in that top 10 and securing membership. And there's people outside of that that list as well that could really come in and make a difference. And I think that Looking at the Black Desert Resort Championship next week, I mean, we're going out there on Monday, and it's a Thursday to Saturday, um, the, the, date, the 7th to the 9th. That's going to be a game changer this season. It's the highest purse we've had in tour history at $375,000. It's a $56,000 winner's check, um, $56,250 to be exact. So that could really change everything for a player. So it'll be wow. be very interesting to watch next week. Yeah, it's definitely a, a big jump from the earlier seasons, uh, watching the purses go up and, and watching the level 
uh, of competition. It's amazing to see some of these young girls just how, um, you know, committed they are and, and how, you know, they're just willing to grind it out, you know, every week. And, and, you know, really to, to, to finish in the top 10 um, and not win, but still manage to, you know, pivot into the number two spot is, is, you know, is, let me ask you, is there a chance that if she was to win this week, could she overtake the number one? Would that put her enough to put over number one? It would. So right now she is $4,000, or sorry, not four, $40,000 behind Gabby Ruffles. Um, so if she were to get that $56,000 winner's check, it would put her over. But that would be if Gabby did not earn any money. So part of the trick here right. is also going to be, you know, if Gabby finishes second, I'm not sure. It's going to depend on how that right. money plays out, how the cuts made, and who in the top ten is shaping out to be where. Well, we've had Gabby on the show, and I'm pretty certain she's not going to let that happen. So <laughs> she's very, <laughs> uh, uh, very uh, aggressive young lady, and she's going to get out there and do her darndest to make sure that that doesn't come to fruition. But uh, that's interesting. I mean, you know, when you think about it, because uh, Gabby, as you said, has won three events already this year, putting her in a strong position, and and uh, to, to be in a position where that could potentially happen makes it even that much more exciting and more challenging for both girls, really, to, to one, to sort of stay at that number one position and for the number two to say, hey, I've got a chance to overtake here if I do, uh, you know, if I finish number one uh, this week. So very interesting. Um, Cindy, go ahead. Well, Gabby played this weekend and at the Canadian Open yeah. and played really well. And she's already exempt for the tour next year. So yes, enter card. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I I don't know how she finished, but I know it was it was top ten, wasn't it? At the Canadian Women's Open. Yeah. Uh, she was T nineteen. Finished. Oh, okay. Even. Is she? Did they invite her to play this week? Um, that I'm not sure. I think that happens on um, if she wasn't initially an invite, I believe it's through the top 10 that you would be invited back to the next week as long as it's not a major, but I, I would have to double check that. Yeah, we should check and see. She might get invited anyway. And if she did, hmm. this other girl would be thrilled. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm certain of it. Anyway, I mean, again, it, it, you know, whatever. Plus, they have to play well and win $56,000. And Gabby's exempt anyway. But so mm-hmm. what? It's still awesome that the purses are going up and they're making more money. Yes. Because certainly like, deserve it. Yeah, and like we said, there's people – outside of the top 10 right now that a win would put them well into the top 10. And there's people who, you know, may be thinking that they're not very close. They don't really have a great chance with five events left to get into the top 10 and a win that week, it it could make a huge difference for them. So you just never know. And I think that's one of the, one of the fun and exciting things about tuning in and seeing who's doing well and what's happening out there is you just never know what's going to happen. So it kind of keeps you on your toes at all times. Let me ask you this. Um, so Qualif Age 1 is going on. We have a, a young woman that we've taught since she was 10 yeah. playing who under yesterday. So those that are playing on the Epson tour, are they exempt from Stage 1? Not everyone knows. There's a certain point that they have to, um, if you're outside of a certain spot on the official money list, they have to go back to stage one. Okay. So would they not play in tour events and go to stage one? Um, That's up to them. Last year we had seven players go to stage one, and I believe they are playing at least five events in a row. So they're playing Epson into stage one and then coming from stage one back out to Epson. So it really just depends. It depends on the player. I would say that most will probably take a week off before to get out there and prepare. Um, but in some cases, you will see a player continue to play. I mean, I know a good example of that this year is 
Gabby Lemieux, who plays on the Epson Tour, she's out at stage one right now, but she's from Idaho. That's where she lives. That's where she grew up. So she didn't want to miss last week's event, the Circling Raven Championship, out in Idaho because that's like a home field, like home field event for her. She has people out there supporting her. It's a little bit easier access to have some fans come support in person. So she played that through Sunday and went over to Q School. So or played through Saturday night. She didn't miss. She didn't make the cut. But um, she that's a great example of someone who didn't take the week off before going to Q School. But you have others who do. So it really just depends on the player and you know what they want to do with it and how they want to prepare. I know last year a lot of people who chose not to withdraw from some of the events to prepare and, you know, not take the weeks off or a week off going into Q school, they said that in their mind they need to stay in competition mode. If they go home and they practice or they go out to California and practice, they're going to lose that sharpness of being in competition mode. So they were, they were saying to me that they just want to stay as much into it as possible, go out there and continue competing. So it really just depends on the athlete. Got it. I agree. Ted? So, so Ali, let me ask you, um, we've got, I think you mentioned, five events left this season. Um, yeah. And with a lot of people sort of knocking at that uh, top ten uh, position to get it inside there to, to earn their card, what advice, if, if a player was to talk to you and say, you know, what would you suggest to them um, to help motivate, encourage, whatever, um, however you want to phrase it, what would you say to a player who's certainly within, well within reach? I mean, obviously there's players that are just, you know, regardless of whether they, unless they win every, you know, every event uh, finishing the season, are probably not going to get into that number. But if you knew that there was somebody there and um, you could offer some encouraging words, what would it be? I think I'll preface this by saying that whatever I would say to them would come more from a place of, being a friend than it would of being a golfer. Mm-hmm. So I definitely don't want to speak on like something that I would tell right. myself if I was in position because, you know, you truly never know until you are. But I think as a friend, I would say, you know, you, you have to just trust that whatever is meant to happen is going to happen. I mean, you look at, you look at Gabby Russell's for an example, she finished number 15 last year, forgot to sign up for Q series, which was, you know, everyone knew it was a big hit, but came back out to Epson Tour. She she knew that she had what it took to be up at the LPGA. She learned from it. She grew from it, from the mistake, and she proved herself. And now she can officially say that she is a 2024 LPGA Tour member. So I think that no matter what the outcome is, you just have to trust that it's all going to work out like it's supposed to. And I think, you know, you, you look at, consistent play, top finishes, you look at where you are on the money list. I I think it's just relaxing and letting everything play out. I think the more that you stress about it and the more that you get inside your head, the harder it is to shake. And I personally would hate for that to affect anybody out on the golf course. And I think that that's part of it is if you just let it go and accept it. And I think that's, that's what we hear from the athletes all year. You know, what's your momentum going into the next round, going into the next event based off this top finish, a lot of the athletes will say that they're just trying to clear their head because if they focus too much on, oh, I went bogey-free and made, if I made, if I went bogey-free and made six birdies today, I need to do the exact same tomorrow. When you're putting so right. much pressure and focus on one specific thing, it's easy to let it slip. Whereas if you're just accepting of the outcome and trusting the process, you're going to get to where you're meant to be. So that's what I would definitely say is is to try to relax a little bit and, you know, trust your game because that's what's gotten you this far and that's what will get you to that next level. Well, that's some great advice, uh, Allie, and it's right on the mark. I think you're exactly right. You know, we've you know, interviewed a number of players over the years uh, from Epson and a lot of them, I would say, suffer from that very same thing of, you know, letting it get into their head so much and and putting undue pressure on themselves and not just trusting the process. I mean, obviously these young ladies don't get there if they don't have the skills or the abilities to be there. Um, But it's just a matter of really understanding their game and doing the best they can. And some days they're going to have a great round. Other days they're not. 
um, and they just have to keep, you know, grinding it out. But yeah, you have to sometimes pull back a little bit and just, you know, take a deep breath and just say, you know what, um, I didn't maybe play my best today, but that's okay. There's always another day or there's another hole or whatever the case may be. And they just have to, like you said, trust the process. So that's some great advice that, uh, that you would uh, give a player. And I think anybody um, listening uh, from the Epson tour should uh, take you up on that. That's some good advice. Um, <laughs> and I also as think we, as you that's any sport. I, I think that's with any sport too. You know, I mean, golf is a mental game, but I, I think sports in general are mental. So you just have to remember that your ability is what got, like, like I said, what your ability is what got you there and it's what will continue to carry you. I couldn't agree more. Um, what can we expect for 2024? Is there anything different, any new changes that you know of that you can share with us, or, or are you not quite at that point yet? Ooh, I personally am not quite at the point of being looped in on that yet, but I am very excited to see um, what 2024 has in store. I think that we definitely will learn more once the season ends and as we get a little bit closer to the new year. I know that, you know, we were announcing the schedule a little bit after the new year last year. So I'm not, mm-hmm. I'm not too sure just yet, but, you know, I, I hope to see growth. And I think that anybody in the organization, that's why we're doing what we're doing. We want to, we want to see growth and we want to give the athletes the best opportunities to succeed and chase their dreams and make them come true. Do you ever find it challenging for you personally? Um, Cause you, you know, obviously you're not spending every waking moment with these young ladies, but you get to know some of the personalities, maybe even uh, uh, on some level, uh, even become a friend of, of, of some, you know, uh, capacity. Do you ever miss them when they move on to the next stage because you don't get to see them quite as much? Do you ever sort of say, wow, you know, and I'm just throwing one out in there, but, you know, Gabby is an example. You know, you had a, a relationship with her throughout the season or seasons, and then now suddenly they're on to the next level, so you don't get to see them as much. Do you ever sort of have that feeling uh, happen to you throughout uh, throughout the years as, as players move on to the next level? I do. And I think from the media side of things, you spend even more time with them. You're interviewing them. You're, you're mm-hmm. not being a pest, but you're constantly asking them to like give you quotes and you're asking them questions and it does get personal sometimes. And I think it's, it naturally, it's hard to separate the personality, and we want to show the personality of our athletes, you know, and that's something that drove me to this profession was as fans, we put these athletes on a pedestal, and we make them seem larger than life, and they are very good at what they do. Do not get me wrong. They are amazing athletes. They're very talented, but they're humans. So I think that's yeah. something that drove me to journalism and Sport is just being able to show the rest of the world that they have bad days, they have flaws, they have things that are bigger than golf, bigger than hockey, bigger than basketball. They are humans just like us. They make mistakes just like us. I mean, as a fan, it's easy when your team doesn't, you know, when your team goes to the Super Bowl and they don't win, it's easy to be like, how do you mess that up, right? But they're living life just like we are. So that's that's what I like to tell. And when you're developing those stories and finding them out and making those connections, it's hard not to connect. And that's what our job is as a media team is to help the general audience connect to the athletes. So of course we're going to connect with them personally and feel that way. And, you know, I, I think it's funny that you mentioned it because last year I started halfway through the season with the Epson tour. So I was only around mm-hmm. for half of it. And I was a little bit sad and you do, you know, I'm an emotional person. So I find myself at the tour championship crying happy tears and sad tears with the players <laughs> who are moving up and who didn't necessarily get to. So, you know, it's, it's hard to not feel bad for them or not be super excited with them, but you definitely do miss them a little bit. And it's one of those things, you know, I, I hope that what I, when I see them again, it's on the LPGA tour, right? Like I don't want to see a lot of, mm. a lot of these people that I would say I've gotten friendly with come back to the Epson tour because I want them to succeed. I would love to hang out with mm-hmm. them and see them at every event, but I don't want to because I want them to be making their dreams come true. So it definitely does hurt a little bit at the end of the season, but at the end of the day, I'm super happy for them. And then you get an example like 
watching Grace Kim win an LPGA Tour event. You know, we're not there to be congratulating her in person, but we're supporting her from afar and everybody yep. else that moves on from, for that matter. So, I mean, it's the same thing throughout the season when you see them get invites like Gabby and um, I know Gigi still got invited to Hawaii earlier, or she Monday queued into Hawaii earlier this year. So, you know, you go see them and you watch them be successful up there and, you know, you can't help but smile for them. So, but it definitely does kind of, kind of pull at the heartstrings a little bit when they move on. Yeah, it's definitely has to be a challenge. And, uh, but what a great way to, uh, to end this segment, Allie, we want to thank you for joining us this morning and sharing some insight uh, to not only 2023, but some optimism for 2024 as well. And giving us a little bit of a sneak peek into some of the player personalities, but um, much continued success for the rest of the season. We'll probably have you uh, back again, uh, maybe right at the end of the season uh, or certainly at the beginning of next to kick things off again. But we appreciate you taking time and, and uh, spending it with us this morning here on the Women of Golf Show. Awesome. Thank you guys so much. Thank you. All right. That was uh, the marketing manager from Epson Tour, Ali Lutter, uh, joining us uh, you know, it, it, I imagine it's got to be very challenging, wouldn't you agree, Cindy, to, to be in her position to meet so many different young ladies, you know, coming up and that. And you're kind of uh, kind of caught between a rock and a hard place because you do, you know, certainly not every single one, but you do kind of uh, become friends with some of them um, more than others. And then suddenly they move on. So, uh, you know, you're kind of a, a catch-22. You want them, as she said, to succeed, but at the same time, you know, you kind of, miss your old buddy for the last, you know, the last year that you've had some great conversations with along the way and you've been rooting for, and now all of a sudden they're not there. But on the same token, she gets to meet a lot of new people each season. So that's, uh, I guess, a, uh, a win-win, right? You know? I'm sorry, what was that? It cut out. I, but you're rooting for them, so that's a good thing. Yep, I couldn't agree more. All right, we're going to take a very fast break and uh, listen to a quick message uh, for Golf Tips Magazine, and we'll be back and stepping into the no-PS zone to talk about some game improvement strategies. We'll be right back. The following ad is sponsored by Golf Tips Magazine. Are you tired of being short off the tee? And what about those three putts? Forget about it. It's time you got serious about your game. Golf Tips, the most in-depth magazine in the industry. For over 30 years, Golf Tips has delivered expert content such as the latest golf instruction from America's top pros, simple-to-follow practice and game improvement drills, fitness and mental game tips, equipment, training aids, accessory and apparel reviews, golf destinations and travel tips for every budget, and so much more. Don't miss a single issue. Go to GolfTipsMag.com and subscribe today. All right, welcome back, everybody. And uh, as I mentioned, we just wrapped up with a very interesting discussion with the uh, Epson Tours marketing manager, Ali Lutter. And now you and I, Cindy, are going to step into the no BS zone and discuss game improvement strategies. So here goes. Um, I guess the question that I would ask you, Cindy, is do you think everybody, uh, and I know it seems like a no-brainer, has the ability to lower their handicap if they're willing to put their mind and effort and an effort into it? And if yes, what would you recommend that they do to accomplish this? Well, the answer is yes. They can lower their handicap if they choose to work on their game. And I think the first thing they have to do is evaluate where they are right now. Mm-hmm. What do you think? And I think, that, yeah, I agree 100%. I think also to is they have to decide what level of commitment. I think really lowering the handicap is the easy part. I mean, anybody can do that if they're willing to put in the effort. The, the trick is, is what is their level of commitment? And some people might say, well, you know, I'm just sort of a, what we classify as a weekend warrior, and, you know, or maybe I play a couple times a month, so you know, I don't really get out that much. And that's okay if, you know, if they're happy with that and it's just sort of a, a fun thing and maybe a couple times a year to, to get out with some friends, uh, you know, they went to high school with and they meet up at, at uh, you know, Pinehurst or something as a, an annual uh, get together. That's fine. They're, they're not really looking to, it's just more of a, a bonding and, and a friendship. Uh, but if somebody's playing on a, some sort of a regular basis, or maybe they're, 
They've been playing in their, their club championship every year, and they're tired of finishing in the, the, the second-to-last group, and they really want to improve. Then they have to first assess, okay, what, what am I willing to do to make the changes? Because um, obviously what I'm doing right now is not working. Um, so I think, yes, everybody is, I agree, everybody does have the ability to lower it, but I think you have to make up your mind and say once and for all, and it's not just about, you know, jumping in and getting, you know, a thousand golf lessons and that certainly you need to, to look at that, but it's a matter of getting your mind right, getting your, 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 you know, the old brain box in a, in a mindset that says, okay, I'm willing to do that. Then what, once you do that, if you're not already working with a professional, then you need to connect with one and you need to let them know, okay, I'm willing to put in the time, invest the time and, you know, certainly some uh, financial resources uh, with, with lessons and so forth. And we need to put together an action plan and then have that discussion, do an assessment as you point out, see where they are now and then put that plan together. And I think once they do that and they're willing to stick with it, which is the key part of it, putting that effort in, I think it can be very, very easy. Um, to start seeing that handicap drop down. If you're not willing to do that, then it's just a, a it's a wasted effort. What do you think? Well, again, yeah, I, I mean, you jumped ahead a little bit, but again, where are you now? I want to get better. Okay, how much better do you want to get? And mm-hmm. where are you now? So let's put it this way. So I have a young girl who wants to play D1 college golf. And so she's going to be in 10th grade. She's homeschooled. She's playing in some, uh, the Under Armour Tour, okay? And she did some Western New York PGA tournaments. She played in five, and then she got invited to the Tour Championship. And she does not reach out to me. And she does not, she comes in for lessons, but doesn't communicate much. And mom and dad don't play golf. So after she played in the last tournament, I said, what did you shoot? She did not communicate. Normally I say, you know, give me your stats. She does not communicate. So I said, what were your stats? My putts were nine over par. I'm like, what do you mean your putts were nine over par? So again, she doesn't even know how to communicate what the putts were. Well, you said right. putts are 36. I said, well, no, that's, you know, that's if you hit every green, right? Mm-hmm. So she shot 108. Right. I said, okay, 108, you're going to be a sophomore, and you're homeschooled. So you don't have a high school golf team. So we need to shave 25 shots off that if you want to play D1 so I said, the last time we did a playing lesson, so, so I said, what do you think you need to do? Let's say it's, you know, 20 shots. Okay. What do you need to do to shave 20 shots off? I need to hit it farther and I need to putt better. I said, okay. The last time we did a playing lesson, you hit it as far as I hit it. Right. Yeah. I said, okay, I can break 80 hitting as far as I hit it. Yeah. I said, so I don't think you need to hit it farther. Again, she doesn't even know how to evaluate her game. You follow? Yeah. So some people, again, God bless her, but she doesn't even know how to do that. Neither does mom and dad because they don't play golf. So Mm -hmm. they're almost golf. um, They don't know anything about golf, and she's been playing for three years. And again, they don't come (laughs) enough. Yes. And I don't want to be mean, but I'm like, what do you not understand? And then she went to get fit for a driver and they fit her with this driver, you know, that doesn't fit her. And I said, you got to take that back. How much did you spend on this? And some numb nuts fits her and then they fit her again. And and now the grips all turned. And I'm like, send this back. And they got it set at 11 degrees. And it's shooting to the moon. I'm like, oh, my God. Well, the guy said, I go, I don't care what the guy said. You know, the guy shoots 100 and he's, anyway. So I get upset yeah. because they're trusting some <laughs> numbnuts who shoots 95. 
anyway, so long story short, that's what I'm saying. You have to evaluate. So I said, let's hit the ball straight. So we could break 90 if we hit it straight. I said, so here's the catch. The Under Armour Tour, you got to average under 50 to qualify for nationals. That's your goal. We got to break 50 for nine holes. So she did last week. Okay. I said, all right, great job. Mm -hmm. So that's better than 108, right, for 18. Yep. But, again, you got to get small goals. And she didn't even, you know, she came in for one lesson. And I said, we're working on the same things we were working on three months ago. Now, she's been coming in for lessons with Alan. I said, you need to do more playing lessons because you're – and Mommy and Daddy watch every swing she makes, and they're not adjusting it. And so part of these things with these kids, and again, I don't, I'm not trying to be mean, but when they're not in school with other kids, mm-hmm. they're being protected. Yeah. And, and I'm sorry, but because we've got a few of them, they're being protected from reality, I think, yeah. sometimes. You know what I mean? Anyway, so yeah, you, you got to evaluate yeah. where you are, and then you got to be realistic, right? Well, if you want to break a hundred, mm-hmm. what do we got to do? And sometimes you don't have to hit it further. Well, I got to hit my, you know, people come in for clinic. What do you want to work on? I got to work on my driver. I go, why? You know, what do you shoot? I shoot a hundred. Okay. Well, what do you want to do? I want to hit my driver farther. I go, well, I got news for you. Hitting your driver farther isn't going to make you break a hundred. Hit your three wood right. off the tee straighter is going to help you break a hundred, but they don't want to hear that. Well, and and also just to, to to sort of piggyback off your point, you have to you have to be able to understand through that assessment where you're losing the strokes. You know what where what's costing you. I mean, if you you know you could hit it, let's say for argument's sake, two hundred yards straight down the middle every time, um, but maybe you know, you're missing the green, um, you know, nine times out of 10. Um, and now your, your chip shots are getting up. You're on the other side of the green and, you know, you're, you're bogeying, double bogeying, even triple bogeying every hole beyond. So it's not the driver. It's not your, you know, you're hitting it in the fairway. You're getting in good position, but it's everything afterwards. So you have to really understand your game or maybe you're getting on in two, but you're three putting every, every putt. So you have to understand where it is that it's costing you those strokes. And those are the areas that you have to focus on. But you're right. You can't do that if you're not doing an honest assessment and you're not looking at those stats or those figures or even understanding them. Um, and again, it, you know, no, I mean, no disrespect to, to this individual's parents, but if you don't have the knowledge or understanding of the game yourself, then you need to make sure that she's engaged regularly with somebody that can help her and can break those uh, areas down for her, like yourself or whoever, whoever it happens to be. Because if you're not doing that and you're just sort of going on your own efforts and you don't understand what the heck you're doing, you're never going to make it to D1. Right? At all. And I said to her, you know, maybe we need to look somewhere. And she's like, no. I go, well, something needs to change. And yeah. I, and I you know I'm not trying to be mean, but you gotta look at this. We gotta yeah. because you know you keep playing, but this is not the truth. So what are we gonna do about it? So well, and it, then it, you know she broke the... fifty, which is great, but still, and the same thing with the other kids. So here's the other thing we said. I got a couple other kids, and Natalie's one of them, right? And she's playing with these yeah. kids. She went to the Nota Begay qualifier, right? And playing with these yeah. girls. One of the girls shot 68. I'm like, wow, excuse me. You know, and these Under Armour, they're, they're shooting low. I mean, they're going three, four under five. Somebody shot six under par. I go, okay, so said to her dad, you know, what are they doing? Well, they're knocking it closer, and they're making putts. Okay, so how many three-putts? He, he said to me, she's three-putting from 15, 20 feet. I go, well, you can't do that. I mean, you're going to three-putt yeah. from 40 feet once in a while, right? That's okay. But you can't three-putt from 15. So what we said, 
Alan told the story about qualifying for the Masters when he was, you know, a junior at Georgia. And he said to his dad, I got to change my swing. I can't keep poking it. So he went to Toski for two days, eight hours each day. And Toski said, look, I don't want you to play more than nine holes a week for the next six months. You can hit all the balls you want, but you can't, you can't don't play more than nine holes a week. So he did. Two years, he was the number one amateur in the country with Lanny Watkins, right? So mm-hmm. I said to Natalie and this other kid we teach, we need three months off, no tournaments. Well, what do you mean? We were going to go to this Under Armour thing. I said, or U.S. Kids thing. I said, you're already qualified for world championships next year. You both shot 71 a couple of times. You don't have to qualify. You're in. We need to make some changes with your swing. You're both in the Hurricane, you know, national championship in December. Once this Under Armour tour is over, just stop. Let's work on your swing from the end of September to December. Oh, well, he was going to go try to do I go, you don't need to do that. What are you trying to prove? Oh, okay. You know, I said, we need to take a step back to move five steps forward. You're good. You're 11 years old. You know, stop. Nobody's looking it, at you it right don't. now. Coaches can't talk to you. Yeah, it makes you wonder really – what the motivating factor that she's even playing. And, and I, I hate to throw this in there, and I know it probably seems inappropriate, but I, I wonder if she's really playing for herself or if she's play, playing to please her parents. Because, you know, if, if you're not willing to stop, and if you're, if, you know, she's obviously very inexperienced in, in what she's doing, and she doesn't have really proper guidance and again i'm not meaning to be disrespectful to her parent but they don't understand the process and they're getting perhaps a lot of misinformation it sounds like she's getting a lot of misinformation uh from elsewhere and not really sticking with what she you know needs to do and when you when you get somebody that's questioning all the time and it's good to ask questions there's nothing wrong with that but when you're questioning the process all the time going to what ali was talking about then you're not really playing for the right reasons. And so I think for her, um, you know, and I know we're kind of getting off our topic here, but, I, you know, I think this is important. And I think it's good for the, the listeners to hear this, especially parents out there that have juniors that are they're wanting to play, whether it's D1 or, or beyond, uh, that you need to understand that they have to look at their game. They have to understand their game. It doesn't matter what you think about it. It's what they think about it or what they understand about it. And if you've got somebody that's apprehensive uh, or not really thinking about things clearly, um, then they're just swimming against the, the you know, against the, the uh, stream. They're going upstream instead well, of downstream. Very right? true. And the other point is, is when you're, when you're 11, soon to be 12, golf coaches can't talk to you until your ju- after your junior year and they're right. not looking at scores when you're 11 maybe right. not even when you're 12 or 13 maybe 13 14 15 probably 14 and 15 so this is the time for you to develop and mm-hmm. and so the point being if you can develop your swing when you're 11 12 13 14 then you can play really well when you're 15, 16, 17. And then you don't have anything to worry about because you've built a solid foundation. What happens, though, is everybody's got this Instagram account, and now there's kids that are team tailor-made and team this and team that, and they're all trying to outdo each other on social media. And these are like... Mm -hmm. 10-year-olds, and this is ridiculous, and they're all trying to gain these followers and posting stuff, and it's absolutely ridiculous because they're all trying to outdo it. It is, but they all think they have to play the game, and I'm like, stop, because you're just trying to outdo each other. And therefore, you think you have to keep going around and round and round the circle, and it's going to hurt you. 
because then yeah. when you play and, that. Well, and, you, and you, you know, then you're going to look back over that time and realize all the time that you've wasted um, that you could have been better implementing into a, a better strategy or a better understanding, um, you know, to become a better player. And, you know, and I understand it. I mean, today's youth, unfortunately, we see it all the time. You know, you go out to restaurants and that and their heads in their phone. Um, so I'm not surprised to, to hear that. It's a shame that it's happening younger and younger. All right, I want to move on. Uh, here's a question that I know you personally can relate to uh, being a tour player. Um, how do you stay focused for, the, say, you know, whether it's three or four days of tournament? Because there's so much at stake. What do you do to keep those nerves calm? Um, and, and what do you do to not over-focus? I mean, obviously, you have to be in the moment. You've got to be in the game and, and keep your head in the game. But sometimes you can go too far, too, where it can be detrimental. So what do you do when you were involved uh, in playing in, in tournaments on a more regular basis and you knew there was a lot at stake? What did you do to keep your nerves calm? When you know what you're doing with your own swing, you can turn it on and turn it off. When you have your own process, you don't have to focus the whole time. So when you have, you know what your setup is, you know what your process is, you don't have to think or focus or worry for four days. So, you know, it's like, okay, it takes me, you know, 30 seconds to hit a ball. What's the yardage? What's the wind doing? What's the playable yardage? What club am I using? Where am I aiming? Okay, walk behind it, step in, look, you know, underhanded with my right eye open because I'm right eye dominant. Put your hands on it. Can I see where I'm going? I pretend I'm spiked to a pole, swing, hinge, kill. That's it. Again, you've got your own, you've worked for years and years and years and years, right? Mm -hmm. Set up and hit the shot. And everyone's got their own process. So you don't have to think, and that's what we were talking about with Allie. Once you've got your yep. setup and your process, it's automatic. What you work all those years to develop your own system. If you're if you don't have it and you're hitting it yucky, that's when you start to worry. You're like, oh god, I, you know. Then it's search and scan. When you're on search and scan, it's a nightmare because you don't know what you're doing yeah. and you don't know where the ball's going. Right, and that's where a, a, a really good sound pre-shot routine comes into play as well because you go through the process, you do it exactly the same each and every time, and it helps you to stay focused. And then you get up there, and as you said, you do uh, the things that you need to do. But uh, a lot of players, you'll see them one shot, they'll do something uh, correctly. They'll have their, their pre-shot routine they go through, hit a great shot. The next shot that comes up there, um, they hit a bad shot, now suddenly, instead of doing that pre-shot routine for the next shot, they alter it. They start making changes. Oh, I better do this and, and because suddenly they hit a bad shot or a couple of bad shots or played a bad hole, and then they start getting out of that. And if you watch the pros on television, and I'm talking to the audience now, if you really pay attention to the pros, it doesn't matter how good or bad they're playing. They will go through the same routine each and every stroke that they play because that helps them stay focused in the moment and helps them focus on what the task at hand is. And if they start, if you start to see them speeding up or slowing down or, or making changes, that means they're out of their rhythm. And that's usually when you see the wheels falling off the bus. Um, one of the biggest mistakes, Cindy, that you see amateurs, you play in a lot of pro-ams on the golf course. Uh, what is one of the biggest mistakes that you see, and how could they rectify this? Not paying attention to where they're going. Mm -hmm. I think they club selection is another one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. Club selection not and not knowing. even aiming. When they walk into the shot, they don't even look up to see where they're aiming. Yeah. I know you've mentioned many times um, where a lot of indecision comes into that shot because they don't know the distance they're hitting their clubs, so they're guessing. They think, well, because I hit a really good six iron the last time, I've got to hit a, that six iron this time, but maybe the yardage isn't right. It just was a coincidence or maybe a lucky shot because they really don't know how, how far they're hitting their six or their seven or their eight iron on a consistent basis. Um, so they're, they're, it's a lot of guesswork. And you're right. They're not paying attention to where the ball's going. They just get up there and they take a swipe at it, and then they realize that they've been aiming 30 yards to the left. And now they're in the weeds Correct. or in the, in the trees, right? So, <laughs> I mean – so stay, if you want to stay focused, 
pay attention to what you're doing out in the golf course. It's, uh, it's not as difficult, I think, as what people make it out to be, but it's something that's very common. And I see that a lot of times, you know, when I'm uh, playing myself and I see whether it's with the group. Normally, it's not with the group I'm playing because I usually play with uh, golfers that, uh, that understand this. But, but sometimes we'll see groups in front of us. And, you know, let's get up there. Okay, you know, Bob, it's your turn. And he just gets up there. He's not even, he'll look once, say, oh, yeah, I want to go down here. And then he never pays attention again and just hits the ball and can't figure out why he's, you know, off, off uh, his target so much. And that's, uh, as you pointed out, that's the reason why. Um, last question as we get uh, ready to wrap up, um, advising your students. And obviously it's going to vary with student to student, but there may be some general things that you want them to really focus on. When they're practicing, this is not, in a, in a teaching session, this is when they're getting ready to get out on the golf course, and they're going to get up there in a warm-up maybe is a better way to put it. Should they be working on anything? Um, and if not, what should they be doing when they're practicing uh, before, uh, before they get out and play? So if they're just warming up before they play, they should just be feeling tempo. And, a, you know, what maybe about- one swing Right. What about in a practice session? Let's flip it around the other way. In a practice session, let's say they're going to take 45 minutes. Ideally, to get the, and I hate to use this term, but the biggest bang for the buck, what would you like to see uh, amateurs, if they really want to um, improve and lower their handicap, what's a good way to divvy up that time? I would do some drills. Again, I... I keep trying to stress to people that all you're trying to do is start to face square and bring it back to square, and everyone wants to hit the ball. So they stand there and they hit it fat and they hit it to the right, and I say just start out with little tiny baby swings and try to hit it clean and straight. Do small swings and hit the ball straight and clean on purpose. And then do a little bigger swing and a little bigger swing and a little bigger swing and quit trying to slug it. So um, yeah. if you start with smaller swings, nice and relaxed, it's amazing how good you can hit it. And then you be you become aware of, wow, I don't need to try that hard and this is kind of easy. And and mm-hmm. then you hit it better. And I think you become more aware of what you're doing with the club. So I would stress. If you want to get your biggest bang for your buck when you hit balls, start with, you know, a pitching wedge or a sand wedge and do small, tiny swings. Start with hip shots, pitch shots, work your way up into bigger swings and then go into longer clubs and work your way up into hybrids and fairway woods and hit a couple drivers and be on your way. Some great advice. I think, you know, as we said at the top, I think anybody has the ability to lower that handicap it's just a matter of whether they want to really focus their mind and put the efforts into doing it. Um, there's a lot of uh, tips that we've given, believe it or not, buried in today's discussion. If they just listen to it, I suggest anybody uh, tuning into the show that you go back and listen to this show in its entirety. Again, you go to blogtalkradio.com forward slash women of golf and just scroll down to the on-demand section. It'll be front and center there in a few moment, moments, uh, the recorded version, if you've missed the live version. Um, but really listen to this. And for you parents out there particularly, you know, Cindy uh, expressed some things. If your child has a desire to play at a higher level, there's things that they need to do as well if they really want to understand their game better um, because otherwise they're just spinning their wheel for naught. So you definitely want to pay attention to that process as well. But uh, on that note, uh, we want to thank everybody for joining us. And, again, uh, we apologize for uh, the delay in getting back on air, but I think we've got everything worked out now. And we will see you next week here on the Women of Golf. Uh, Hope you'll join us. Thank you, Cindy. Have a great day. You too. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining us. We hope you enjoyed listening to this week's Women of Golf show. Ted and Cindy wish to thank this week's special guests. Remember to join them every Tuesday from 9 to 10 a.m. Eastern here on the iGolf Sports Network or on any of these social media platforms iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, CastBox, TalkStream Live, and of course Spotify. To get updates on the show, you can follow the Women of Golf's Facebook page at www.facebook.com forward slash womenofgolf. 
This has been a production of the iGolf Sports Network.